the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. לא אביט לאחוריי, השביל פתוח לפניי. לא יכולתי לחכות, ארחו לי לילותיי. תן לי את היום הזה, תן לי את היום הזה. עגלה עוברת וקוראת אליי בועלה. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finman. We have got a show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we're going to be interviewing Kobe Erez, who is the uh, director of the Zionist Organization of America, Detroit chapter. We're going to be talking about judicial reform in Israel. It's been a puzzling question since it was first introduced back in November, and hopefully we'll come out smarter by the time the interview is over. In the second half of the show, we'll be talking about Matas Masai. We'll be talking through this about the three weeks, which is why we are playing a cappella music this week. We'll also have, in the second half of the hour, the Jewish Hour Poet Laureate Michael Druck will enthrall us with several of his poems. A dynamite story all the way at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. IDF soldier was shot and killed by a Palestinian in central Israel. The attacker was shot and killed. The Israel Defense Forces raided Janine, killing at least eight people and wounding dozens. Riots broke out in Arab neighborhoods across Israel in response to the raid. Two border police were injured. Dozens of Arabs were arrested. Seven people were wounded in a terror attack in Tel Aviv as a Palestinian rammed his car into people waiting at a bus stop. Israel fighter jets struck an anti-aircraft battery in Syria after a Syrian missile exploded in an Israeli Bedouin village. No one was hurt. 
Israel is buying 25 new F-35 stealth combat jets from Lockheed Martin for $3 billion. The purchase of, an, of additional F-35s from the Maryland-based company would bring Israel's fleet of stealth jets to 75. In other news, LL and Delta Airlines agreed to a share code partnership. People flying LL will get Delta frequent miles, and people flying from Detroit to Delta on Delta to Israel via LL can have their bags checked all the way to Tel Aviv. That makes life so easy. Israel cut its use of single-use plastic bags by 73% since 2016 when a law mandated that the bags be phased out. In the sport, Israel's under-21 men's soccer team made news again as they lost in the Euro Cup semifinals to England 3-0. The fact that they made it to the semifinals again. But being that they're in the top four, they still qualified for next year's Olympics in Paris. Yo. And uh, finally, listen to this one. I might even try to get some of these people on to talk about this. On July 8th, 1938, the Nazis of Machimo destroyed the Great Synagogue of Munich. In July, on July 3rd, 2023, the stones of the Ten Commandments were found as part of a dam made in 1956 that's found in the river. The stones, weighing half a ton each, are in storage and will be displayed in Germany's Holocaust Museum. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. We have online Mr. Kobe Erez. He is the director of the Detroit chapter of the Zionist Organization of America, heretofore referred to as the ZOA, just to make life simple for everybody. We're going to be talking about the judicial reform that's ongoing now being proposed in Israel. How are you today, Kobe? Good. How are you, Rabbi? Good, good to be here. Good. Thank God. Thank God. Okay, so before we start anything else, I want you to introduce yourself as to why you are the person that, to whom we are addressing these questions. How do you know so much about the Israel's judicial reform? So I was born and raised in Israel and um, went to high school there, went to the uh, IDF there for three years. And uh, since I've been working uh, at uh, ZOA, the Zionist Organization of America in Michigan, uh, I've been uh, devoted to Fight for Israel, and uh, one of the subjects that we're also uh, discussing and uh, researching is the um, reform uh, in the Supreme Court in Israel, the judicial, the judicial um, system in Israel. Um, so, so part of what I do is I talk to the American public in schools, in synagogues, in uh, 
in public and even on uh, social media about why the reform uh, of the Supreme Court in Israel is so needed. Okay. And you talk on radio shows too? Uh, okay. Yes. So tell us now, what is the current system? How was it set up? Was this set up already, say, in the times of Ben-Gurion, from before Ben-Gurion, or maybe later you can shed some light as to when it was set up? And what is the system in which we are talking that uh, people are saying that those are part of the government are saying is broken and needs fixing? Kobe. Sure. So in uh, 1953, uh, it, it was decided by the government, which was a fairly new uh, government, new state uh, during the Ben-Gurion time, that there will be a committee. Um, and in the committee, there will be nine members that will be made up of uh, judges and politicians, as well as two lawyers. Um, but the veto on who is going to be uh, elected to the Supreme Court will be uh, given to the judges. Um, in other words, the judges in Israel since 1953 uh, have the veto power to elect their successors. Um, it, there is no such uh, system like this any other, um, in not any other place in the Western world. Um, so since, since 1953, they've been electing themselves. Now, um, jumping to our time, um, in the until the 1990s, the Supreme Court uh, didn't intervene so much in what the uh, uh, you know didn't cancel laws and didn't um, prohibit the government to fulfill the will of the people, the, the will of the majority. Okay, let's let's back up before. Let me interrupt you just before. Okay, so, um, so it worked from 1953 to the early 1990s, and judges that were being elected was it like from a broad spectrum of the Jude uh, of the uh, Israeli populace? So that's a great question. So no. So the the answer to that is that uh, uh, you know naturally when a person has the ability to uh, to choose his successor, uh, he or she would prefer choosing uh, somebody who looks um, and thinks more similarly to the, the way they think. Um, it happens to be that uh, at the time that the early time when the judges were elected, it was by the Labor Party, uh, Mapai um, section, and uh, the, they were leaning more to the left. So since then, uh, these judges decided to uh, nominate you know, basically, they're people who think like them, they're friends. Um, and since then, the Supreme Court uh, was uh, was more in favor of the of uh, left agenda. Uh, weren't there always the like mandates there had to be like a religious person on the Supreme Court, Kobiers? Yes. So the, there's uh, there was a mandate that there needs to be a religious person and an Arab and, and, uh, and a certain amount of females. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, even if you have one religious person, that religious person could be also on the left. And even if he's not on the left, you still have a vast majority of judges who are um, not religious. In fact, there's uh, most of the time there's only maybe one person who is religious, one Arab. Um, but the when it comes to voting, when it comes to decision making and ruling, the majority is um, given to people to judges who are on the left. Okay, so Menachem Begun took over power from the left. The first time that Mapai Labor lost a, an election was 1977. 
So things are still working okay. It's a Likud government from 1977 through the 1990s. Uh, Kobe? Yes. So Menachem Begin, um, you know, this was when the time when the, the, the right uh, has uh, risen to power uh, for the first time in Israel. Uh, Menachem Begin was very careful to not intervene with the Supreme Court. Uh, but also on the other side, the Supreme Court also uh, was very careful not to intervene uh, with the, the government, with the, the majority uh, ruling. Um, come to 1990s, the, um, there was a person who was elected to be the uh, president of the Supreme Court, uh, um, a judge by the name of Aharon Barak. And Aharon Barak, um, he, sees, he sees himself as the enlightened person, and he sees the judges as, as enlightened people, um, and he also sees the majority ruling and the government as um, as an entity that could rule, but up to a point. If it's not, even if it's illegal, even if they decide by legal means by the law, if it's not reasonable, the Supreme Court has the power to cancel laws and to make the government act um, in a different way. Okay, and I can give you some examples. Let me, let me ju- I will like take some of those examples. But just to clarify, there's a term of, of duty that a Supreme Court judge is elected to. They're not like in the United States where it's a, a life uh, present or, or term or however you want to term it. It's only, it's only for, what, 10 years? Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, 10 years. Um, and um, so they have, they have uh, it's also relatively a long time. Um, and then they eventually choose their own uh, successors. Okay, so now, so uh, this uh, Mr. Barack, any relation to Ehud? No, no, no okay. relations. Just, uh, I would just say it's the same political agenda, uh, but no, uh, no family relations. Okay, so what was some of the things that he wanted to push through there, or the things that he didn't like? And he had to contest with eight other jurors. It wasn't just him. He didn't, like, create a kingdom. Right. Sorry. So, sorry, I didn't hear the last question. So you said you were going to give some examples of what the agenda, what his, what uh, Aaron Barak's agenda was. And so if you could give some of those examples. and then, But he wasn't, he was just one of nine. So what happened with the other eight judges when he decided he's going to uh, create his, his own little uh, kingdom? Sure. So he he did it um, he, did, he did it relatively uh, slowly, and he also introduced this idea, which slowly also trickled to the other judges. Uh, during his time, there, a lot of judges uh, were um, retiring, and so he had the power to to bring his own people in. That's how he changed the Supreme Court in a relatively short time. Uh, that's one thing. And what he did focus on was a few things, and I'll give you examples. Um, it, it's about it's he he the supreme he made the supreme court be able to decide over the government um, in subjects as um, um, economics, terrorism, uh, even where the border of Israel goes. Um, for example, the uh, during the Second Intifada, Israel was suffered from terrorism. Um, and suicide uh, attackers, suicide bomb attack- attackers. I was in Israel at the time. I was in high school. 
We were afraid of going in buses. We were afraid of uh, going to the restaurants, even to school. Um, my parents forbade me from, from going on, on, on school buses. And so Israel decided to create a barrier, a wall between us, between the Israel and the Palestinians to prevent terrorists from coming in. And what happened was the, the Israel government, uh, who decided the sovereignty of the, of the state, decided, okay, we're going to put the wall in a certain area. Aaron Barak, with no legal justification, said, no, we're going to push the wall to give the Palestinians more land. This was a, a strictly political uh, decision based on no law, and he decided where the borders of Israel went. Um, th- that's one thing. Um, another example, and even, even after he, uh, another example is how Israel um, fights terrorism or fights wars. So uh, at, right before the disengagement in Gaza, um, Israel was, the, there were people, Jews who lived in Gush Katif in southern Israel, and uh, Palestinians were shooting at Israelis who were driving on roads um, from buildings, from, uh, from buildings, from Palestinian buildings. There was a specific building that was overlooking a major uh, road in Israel, in southern Israel. The army uh, recommended that the government will demolish this, this building that overlooks the Israeli road and obviously compensate the, the Palestinians who live there and the governments because there are snipers there who are shooting Israelis. The, the Supreme Court said, no, we're not allowing it to, to, to do this, even though the law states that if there is in danger to, uh, to human life, the army can, can, can demolish such a building. The Supreme Court said, no, you're not going to do this. We're going to keep it the way it is. You're going to have to deal with it. Shortly after this decision, a week after, uh, a Jewish mother by the name of Tali Chatuel and her four daughters were driving uh, in a car, and they were, um, they were ambushed by Palestinians from that building. Palestinians shot them um, and then went close to the car and shot them to death. And, and after that incident, the, the army said, sorry, we have to do this. We, we can't... Uh, we can't continue. The Supreme Court said, "Okay, we'll we'll let you do it." Uh, that's just one example of uh, of how the Supreme Court decides even how Israel fights terrorism. Okay, let Another me inter- let me interrupt. Let me yeah. interrupt. I think it's it good enough. But okay, our guest today is Kobe Ares. He's the director of the Detroit chapter of the ZOA. We're talking about Israel's judicial reform. There is no constitution in Israel. Ben Gurion didn't feel it was necessary. They don't have the system of checks and balances like we have in the United States, where if the uh, there's a law which can be checked to see if it's constitutional, and if we don't like a judge, we can have him impeached and removed. So there's that that those, none of those none of that exists in Israel. So when the Supreme Court says it has to be this way, why do people have to listen to what the Supreme Court says if there's a law that says? That was passed by the by the Knesset. That this is the way it's supposed to be. Where's the check and balance there, or why is it that way, then, Kobe? So the, 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 there are no checks and balance. I mean, there there are supposed to be um, the, support, the Supreme Court was supposed to interpret it, the law, and um, but it's not like that. The Supreme Court actually makes the law in Israel, um, and there are no checks and balances. As you can see now, the by law, the government is. Uh, trying to change the way that the judicial um, system works, where judges are not going to be able to uh, vote themselves in. 
and uh, will have a limit amount of um, the ability to cancel laws and to tell the government what to do. Um, but when the Supreme Court in Israel says no to something, then the government is very, very careful uh, not to fight with the Supreme Court. I think it's a, uh, um, it's a strong democratic value that Israelis have. That the, because technically the government can say, well, I will not listen to you because this is not under your jurisdiction. But in Israel, there's a lot of sensitivity to the Supreme Court. Um, and so the government does not want to go against the Supreme Court. And then, so that's why they're trying to, to change the laws there. Okay. So, um, so it sounds like what has happened is there's been this development in the judicial system of what we call in America a good old boys network. Are you familiar with that term, Kobe? Yes. Okay. Yes. So people, we don't need to explain what that is. So if it's so blatant as, you, as you're describing it, so why are there violent protests that have been going such that when the idea was first proposed at the end of last year – it had to be shelved because of all the protests until it's being brought up now again in a modified form. So uh, there are two reasons for this. Um, one is that the, um, the media in Israel is uh, mostly controlled by, by the left. Uh, there's uh, one or two media outlets out there on the right, uh, but the most, the majority, the mainstream media in Israel is on the left. And people listen to the media, and people uh, listen to what the, um, the media tells them. And the media say, is saying that the government is trying to create dictatorship. Now, if you ask, if you ask, if you go on the street in Israel and you ask uh, uh, the average protester to tell him what they don't like about the ref- about the suggested reform, he's not going to be able to tell you. Um, and I'm telling you this from from first experience. In fact, most of them don't even know what the reform entails. Uh, they've been told that Israel is becoming is going to become a dictatorship, and they go into riot. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is that the uh, the, the New Israel Fund is an organization in Israel who's, which is called the New Israel Fund, um, and uh, they, I would say that they were equivalent to George Soros here in America. They have uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, and they pump the, this money into the protesters. They're very well organized. Um, and so that's how, t- together with their money and with the media's help, they help to get people out in the streets. Now, that doesn't mean that the, it's the majority in Israel, because if you look at polls, most the majority in Israel is for, the silent majority is for reform at the Supreme Court. Um, um, but because of, because even though it's not the majority, you still have the protesters who will violently go against um, the government and, and use means that are, are sometimes not legal. Okay. Again, our guest is Kobe Eris from the Detroit chapter of the ZOA. We're talking about judicial reform in Israel. And so what are the reforms that are being proposed then, Kobe? So the original original uh, suggestions, so there are a few suggestions, and I'll, I'll, I'll concentrate in, in the main, major um, uh, decisions. One is that the uh, judges won't be able to vote themselves in anymore. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at dictatorships uh, or monarchies uh, around the world that are not democratic, they, the, the rulers usually vote them, their successors. In Israel, 
um, in the Supreme Court, it's the same. It's, it's similar. It's, it's the same thing. And so what you get, like I said before, you get the same kind of people who go into the Supreme Court. So the what it, uh, this government, Netanyahu's government, is suggesting is changing it so the majority, just like in America, the majority will vote, will decide who the Supreme Court will be. That was the original um, proposal. And after, after the, the, the rallies against it, the protesters, um, the, now the, the current uh, suggestion is to uh, create a committee which will be equally made out of um, politicians uh, from the opposition in Israel and from the coalition in Israel. And so that way there's no veto to one side and they, have, they will have the force to be uh, decided to vote on, on judges. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is to uh, put in place a law that says that the Supreme Court will be able to intervene with a certain majority of judges. So, for example, if you have 12 judges, you will have to have a certain majority, like nine judges who will have to – Who, if nine judges say uh, we cancel, we say that the, this law is not lawful, then uh, the, the law will be canceled. But otherwise, it will be harder for the Supreme Court to intervene uh, with what the government, um, i.e. the majority, decides in Israel. Okay. Now, given the current system, couldn't it just be that the Supreme Court says that your system is illegal and we're not adhering to it since we have the supreme power? Yes, that that that, that is potentially a a, a risk that uh, um, that could happen. That could happen. Uh, now, that would uh, really um, bring us to not good places. I mean, this, this will put the government against uh, the Supreme Court. Then you have some former uh, prime ministers who are irresponsibly say that uh, if this happens, the army will have to join the Supreme Court against the government, uh, which, is, uh, which sounds like a nightmare. Uh, but potentially, yes, potentially it could happen. I don't think it will happen, especially after uh, the changes that Netanyahu put, he made it much softer changes, a much softer proposal of, of reform. But yes, potentially it could happen. Okay, that's it. Okay, anything else you want to add just to wrap this up? I think I'm all of my questions. I feel totally, completely enlightened. Thank you very much, Kobe. Sure. So um, I just, just, you know, at the end of the day, uh, judges um, and the Supreme Court, as, as much as we want to think about a Supreme Court as being not political, uh, we are all people, we are all political creatures. Um, and, and it's, it's ironic to see that in, uh, you know, the Biden administration has been criticizing Israel for intervening with the Supreme Court independence. But now that the uh, Biden administration doesn't like the, the Supreme Court decisions in America, the uh, Biden administration is saying, okay, let's change the Supreme Court in America because they're saying that the Supreme Court make our state political. Um, and I think that since the Supreme Court, uh, the, any Supreme Court shouldn't have more power than the majority. Um, so that's, that's, that's my take on this. At okay. the end of the day, democracy is the will of the people. Okay, very good. That's going to wrap it up for us. Our guest today has been Kobe Ayers, director of the Detroit chapter of the Zionist Organization of America. We've been talking about Israel's judicial reform and uh, its uh, ramifications thereof. We want to thank you so much for Kobe and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Pleasure being here, and have a great day. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're going. To, you're listening to the Jewish Hour.
Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's a symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Hey, Shulfinman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have, for your listening pleasure, a cappella, of course. This is 613. Who else? This is a mash of two songs, Schar Mitzvah, the reward for doing a mitzvah is a mitzvah, and Hine Biotra, I am putting myself in your hands. Let's listen.
And that was 613. Hope you enjoyed that. We have on the line the Jewish Hour's own poet laureate, Mr. Michael Druck, who is going to enthrall us and enlighten us with some of his poetry. And didn't coordinate if it's new or if it's old, but either way, it's really good. How are you today, Michael? Good. Fine. Thank you. Thank God. Everything's fine here. Everything's great. That's cool. Have you ever thought of, like, doing your own podcast, radio show thing? Yes. Okay. And has it gone would past? Would love to. Has it gone past thought? I would love to. You just need you just need a microphone to talk into and somebody to record it and somebody to put it out there. And then right. somebody else to publicize it that you're doing it. Otherwise, if nobody knows about it, then nobody knows about it. So it's like, why bother? But yeah, you should really do that. Anyway, that's another one of my great suggestions there for you. So have you got a couple of poems for us? Uh, to, I have uh, uh, a couple. Let's see if they work, okay. how they work. Okay. The, the Jew Dobbins, the Jew prays, now and forever, thought throughout the days. And rumbles of God's words accompany his soul and his ways. Hear the people, Hashem, as they hang on your words. Your lessons and desires keep them afloat. The Jew Dobbins, the Jew praise. 613 mitzvahs immersed in Torah's soul. For a people, yes, a people, keeping them whole. And for centuries, the Jew Dobbins, the Jew praise. We are encased in God's heavens, not to be disturbed or distracted. Hear the people, Hashem, the Jew Davin, the Jew praise. Wow, that's pretty heavy. That's really intense. Is that sort of like a uh, an offering for the three weeks, which is a time when we're commemorating the loss of the right, temples? That's what we're doing now, yes. And we've been we've been praying for two thousand years to get that thing rebuilt. So yeah, you hit, I think you hit right to the core right there, uh, Michael. Very, yes, thank very you. Amazing, amazing. Have you got something a little lighter and upbeat? There was a great conversation, and I said not a word. Isis of the sages said, and I overheard. Nothing is greater than Torah. I sat at their feet. What could I say? They all could have said it together that day. Speak and awe, listened intent. But was said by the few, the things that were meant. And I knew what was said as they sat in their lair. The purpose of life is always there. A wondrous thing that I learned in a nook. The day I opened my mind to that great book, a great conversation and nothing was said, a soul to a book and words to be read. And so to my people, I pass it on down the books in my library and things that I have found. My mind is open and that's what is said. And I listened to that great conversation that was read. 
Amazing. It seems like, okay, you've sort of like, I don't know if you know what's going on out in the world, but it seems like there's been a lot being said these last couple of weeks about silence. And it's a lot of it is based on when Elijah was in the desert running away from Ahav and there was thunders and there was rumblings and there was all kinds of noises, but... The voice of God was heard, but called the Mamadaka in a little faint voice. And there's been this real emphasis that the real way to achieve wisdom is through silence and quiet. So I'm just amazed that you're, uh, you, you said, what, how do you, how do you feel about that? Michael Druck? Every time I hear the news, I run to my homish. <laughs> I got, I got one bed for, better for you. I stopped listening to the news. I think if there's anything I need to know, someone's going to tell me. Hey, did you hear about No, I didn't hear about it, but thank you for telling me. Okay, we're going to thank you so much for coming on and enlightening us. And we're still waiting for the three-volume set of collected yeah, works of Michael more than three volumes. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. Okay. Have a good thank day you. and a wonderful three weeks. Thank Bye-bye. you. A wonderful three weeks means we'll see you in Jerusalem. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I look forward to it. Take care. We have up now for next for your listening piece. I like this piece. I like this uh, this artist. His name is Jonathan Friedman. He's one of the Friedman brothers, you know, like Benny Friedman uh, from Fried. He's a cousin to them, born and raised in Israel. His father was a plant there. He was one of the shluchim that was sent to Tzfat, Ir HaKodesh. The song is called Lashuva Baita. Let's go home. Dum, dum, dum. Thank you. 
עזב הכל להתגבר לשוב הביתה. We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community. And Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman, here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week is the portion of Matas Masa. We finished the book of Deuteronomy. We will be done with stories until after the high holidays. So we're looking at October before we get back into Bible stories. So it was a good run while we had it. So, But there's lots of wisdom to be imparted. The portion of Matas Masai is always read during the three weeks. These are the three weeks from the 17th of Tammuz, which was last Thursday, until three weeks later, which is the 9th of Av, known as Tishabav. Both days commemorate terrible things that happened to the Jewish people, especially around 2,000 years ago, with the Roman invasion. On the 17th of Tammuz, without going into great details, on the 17th of Tammuz, the walls of Jerusalem were finally broken through. You can see now, if you go to Jerusalem, you can still get pictures. So there's something called the Old City. And it's called the Old City for a reason. It's because it was built a long time ago. The walls are really thick, and they were impregnable. But after much, uh, much wear and tear, three years, the Romans finally broke through the walls. And three weeks later, the temple was destroyed. And there were other things that happened on each of those days. But like I say, we're not going into them. They're both, it's, a, it's a dark period. And during this time... Jews refrain from listening to music, instrumental music, which is why we will be playing for the next three shows, including this one, uh, a cappella music, which is just voices you're allowed to sing but not play music. People refrain from getting married, from decorating their houses, from um, uh, buying new clothes, from eating new fruit, uh, taking, taking, uh, getting their haircuts, that kind of stuff. It's a time of quasi-mourning. The portion of Devarim, next week's portion, is mandated that it be read prior to Tisha B'Av. Ezra HaSofer, back in the 2,500 years ago, said that we're going to have Devarim read. And we'll talk about Devarim next week. Which means then that the portions beforehand, which is a, it is a double portion. During a leap year, we'd have Matas on one week and Masai on the other. And then Devorim would make up the three Shabbases of the three weeks. 
Since it is not a leap year and we don't need to have the extra portions, so we have enough Shabbases. So the first one is Pinchas, which we read last week. This week it's a double portion, Matas Masai, and next week is Devarim. So Matas Masai is always read during the three weeks. What's the deal with the three weeks? The Rambam, Maimonides, 13th century scholar, maintains that as bleak as these days are on the calendar, that's how great they're going to be once Mashiach comes. But that is a process. As it says, to borrow an expression and turn it around, Jerusalem wasn't destroyed in a day. It took time. And the process of rebuilding it is a journey. That's the, what the word Masai, of Matas Masai, that's what that word means, journeys. The Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement, describes that the 42 journeys, the 40, 42 stops that the Jews made in the desert during the 40 years that they were in the desert is not a history lesson, but a lesson for us in our daily life to expect that we will have turns and trips and sometimes even falls. Trials and tribulations, if you like. It's all part of the process. And Judaism is that. It's a process. Judaism isn't done in one day. A person can't say, you know that Judaism stuff? Yeah, I did it. I'm done. No, it doesn't work that way. There is more that has to get done. The idea is there's a, sp- a statement that said mentioned in the Ethics of Our Fathers, which, is, which states that who is rich is a person who is happy with what they have. Because you know, if you have stuff, you want more stuff. You get tired of this stuff. You want other stuff. So if you're happy with what you have, that's considered a rich person because he does not out there in the pursuit of stuff. That's only true when you're talking about physical. If you're talking about spiritual, to say, I've accomplished enough in my growth is spiritual death. It's the exact opposite of rich. It's indeed, it's impoverished. If there's a word even worse than impoverished, which I can't think of right now, it's worse than impoverished. We have to be on the journey. And we're told that there's an end to this journey because when was this account of journeys made? When they were done. When they got to the end, because there is an end game. And that is with the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple and the ingathering of the, of the, uh, the exiles and the resurrection of the dead and the messianic era. That's the culmination of what we're working towards. And what does that take? The beginning of every journey is one step. Take that step. Would you like to get in touch with me? Way to do that, RabbiFinman.com. You're probably listening. I hope you're listening on Rabbi Finman for this podcast on RabbiFinman.com. So you can peruse what else is on this on the uh, the website. We try to you know make it up up and up and coming and cutting edge and charming and et cetera et cetera. 
So for you to uh, boredom is a terrible thing. We don't want to get you. To, we don't want to keep you bored. So uh, check out the website. Contact me if you've got anything that, that uh, you want to say, especially if you don't like something that you heard. I really want to hear about that. Especially if, like, for example, I know there's a whole camp out there that's uh, in opposition to the ZOA point of view, which we didn't have time to have, like, uh, two people on the show. It would have, been, it would have taken up the whole show. I didn't want to do that. I was asked, I asked Kobe if he could be as uh, as neutral as possible and just pre- present facts. And then he presented his opinion at the end, which is fine. So if you're of the other opinion, please do your research. Just don't say, you know, maintaining status quo. I don't want to hear that. But, you know, if you want to present a logical argument, please, you know, rabbifinman.com. Take it there. You'll also find a donations page, but Baruch Hashem July is paid for, so I can only just say if you feel like making a donation, we could use it for August. That's always true, but that's all I'm going to say about donations. We have a story. The story involves Baba Sali. Baba Sali was a leader of the Moroccan Jew of Moroccan Jewry from the 1950s through the 1980s. First in Morocco, and then he moved and put himself into Israel down near first in Beersheba, then in Damona all also located in the south, he, his feet weren't long enough to hit the ground. He just lived in another plane of existence altogether, as is exemplified by this story. This story happened in the early 1980s and around this time of year. There was an IDF soldier, young man, 20 years old, who went missing his family was of Moroccan descent, and uh, they went and uh, they they cried to the Baba Sali. First, they have to ask permission to go see them. This is you know to go through through channels through the secretaries. So they were allowed in. They had a private audience with the Baba Sali, and he heard their story, and he called over his attendants, and he said, "Bring a cake and fruit and wine." And let's treat these people. Says they're coming with this problem. Their 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 son, their brother, their cousin, has maybe been abducted. Maybe he's not alive, and and he wants to have a party. So, but with the Babasali, you did not argue. He was like I say, lived in another plane of existence. In the middle of this little gathering, he picked up his cup of wine. And he said, I want to say l'chaim. He only spoke in Hebrew. I want to say l'chaim. I want to say to life. You know, the salute. And he said, During these three weeks, we elicit the 13 attributes of mercy that's said on the uh, 13th, on the 17th of Tammuz. This last week was a fast day. So there's special prayers. And we recite the 13 attributes of mercy, which is what Moses taught us at the time of the golden calf. You can go look, I think it's in chapter 35 of the book of Exodus, and he lists them, lists them there. So the last one is Nakeh. He will be cleansed. So he translated, the Baba Sali translated it as the Nakeh, those who are cleansed, those who cleanse themselves, those who have done tshuva will be clean. The low Nakeh, those who don't do tshuva, those who don't clean themselves will not be cleaned. No one had any idea what he was talking about. 
Nobody asked. And later on at the meal, he again lifted up his cup and said the same thing. Those who are cleansed, those who return, those who do tshuva will be cleansed. They'll do tshuva. They'll be accepted. And those who don't, those who don't clean, will not be. And as they were leaving, he said the same thing again. They, had, they didn't know what to make of it. This is the, they, they understood. They, got, they, they felt at ease because they know. They knew. They got some kind of really powerful blessing that was on some other plane of existence where the Baba Sali was, where they weren't. Two weeks went by. And their relative, brother, son, whatever it was, suddenly showed up. And uh, he wound up at a, uh, a backwater IDF camp, and they debriefed him, and they found out what happened to him. And indeed, he had been kidnapped by Hamas, and he was held in a certain place, and he managed to escape and make it back into Israel. It's very rare that such a thing happens. So they went to make a Sudas Haido, as it's called, a Thanksgiving feast, and to thank the Baba Sali for his blessing. So at the feast, Baba Sali welcomed them in and was very happy to see them, and he was like, oh, yeah. So at the feast, he turned to this soldier and said, tell the people what mitzvah you do that no one knows about. So he kind of just cajoled. He went, da, 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 da. Baba Sali said, no. Tell the people the mitzvah that you do that no one knows about. So he said that since before his bar mitzvah, before he was 13 years old, even as a 10 or 12-year-old, there's a little synagogue in Petach Tikva where he lived. And no one took it upon themselves that they should clean the place. So what he would do, since he got off early on Friday from school to get ready for Shabbos, so he took it upon himself that he personally cleaned the shul and the synagogue, and he never told anybody about it. He never asked any money for it. He never, if it was applies, he paid for it by himself. He cleaned the shul. And then the Baba Sali turned to the people and said, now you know what it says when it says, those who clean. Because of this mitzvah, you were saved. That's going to do it. We hope you had a wonderful time listening. I hope I did. I feel much smarter than I did an hour ago. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.